Hey everyone, go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> we're um, we're in, a, in the middle of a series uh, right now, basically that we've entitled God is dot dot dot, and then we're describing some attribute of God. And this week, the attribute that we're describing is the attribute of his self-sufficiency. That's not what I wanted to do. Um, and, uh, and it's a strange thing to talk sometimes about God's attributes because some of them we just don't have an ability to relate to as well as others. And this is one of those tonight that we really can't relate to. And I figured a good passage to, to read that describes his self-sufficiency might be found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. It reads like this. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go out into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish... He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. This is God's word. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you would... Bring comfort through this word tonight that we would find our sufficiency in your sufficiency. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, for the last 13 years, um, I have been the father of boys. And I've got three of them. And I think one of the most common phrases I have heard in my home over these last 13 years, especially when all of my boys were little, was the phrase, I can do it myself all the time. I can do it myself. Hey, you know, you want me to help you put together that toy? No, I can do it myself. Shortly later, it's broken, but I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Uh, it was anything. I can, put, I can figure out how to put this game into the console, you know, break the console. I mean, whatever it was. But my boys were always and naturally were convinced that, you know, they could figure it out all on their own. And if I'm honest with you, uh, I have the same tendency today in my own uh, mind. Uh, I've shared with you before, I don't know how to fix any of the things. I'm terribly not handy. I'm just, it's not something I have skill at at all. Uh, but I don't want to admit that. And there's been times where stuff has been broken in the home, and my patient wife has been like, Eric, you know, why don't we just call somebody? I'm like, no, 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 I'll do it. And then I won't do it, because I don't want to admit that I can't do it. Uh, and so really what that is, is me being my six-year-old son. I can do it myself, and I really can't. 
And so I think all of us have that to some extent, uh, that we feel like we can do it, but the truth is there's only one in the universe that always is self-sufficient and actually can always 100% say, I can do it myself. And that, of course, is, is God. He is the uncreated, the first cause, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. The scriptures use those words to describe him. His, his name is I am, meaning that, that there's never been a time that he hasn't existed. He's always been. And because of this, it's impossible to speak, as, speak of God as though he had any sort of need. He's never needed anything. Hebrews 1.3 tells us that Jesus Christ upholds the universe, the entire thing, by the word of his power. And again, Colossians 1 that we read from early, earlier, uh, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, and we could go on. So, so you read Paul rhapsodizing about Jesus in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, where he says, there's one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all, uh, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. And you might be tempted to think that this God, who does not need us, doesn't, does not need his creation one bit to add anything to his glory and power, wouldn't want to have anything to do with us little creatures. We might expect that like the Greek gods, if you've ever re read anything about the Greek gods, they, if they had any interaction with human beings, and they did, they saw human beings sort of as, as like play toys. You know, I mean, they were to be tinkered with. That might make sense. Or you could do the god of the deists, which basically just just ignores our play, you know, our struggles and stuff. And yeah, he knows we're here, but he's not too invested. But the wonder of passages like we had tonight from God's word is that instead of flaunting his self-sufficiency that way, by playing with us in some sort of cosmic game, or on the other hand, by ignoring us, in fact, God is directly involved in all of our everyday life and needs. He uses his self-sufficiency to serve us who cannot do it ourselves. So let's talk about that from our text. Number one, from his self-sufficiency, he is shown to be overflowing with compassion and healing. You see that in our passage. And just to give a little context to the passage today, Jesus and his disciples have been going through a very difficult and challenging time. Uh, John the Baptist, Jesus' forerunner, and cousin has just been killed by Herod, beheaded. So, pretty brutal time. And as a result, Jesus, being fully human, and he is, just wants to be alone with his disciples for a little bit. Away from the crowds that are following him everywhere he goes. Away from the publicity, away from the paparazzi, just quiet, understandably so. And yet, we read that... When the crowds heard that he had gone away, they followed him on foot from the towns. So there will not be any vacation. I'm leaving on vacation tomorrow to go to Inland Land, uh, otherwise known as California. Um, Jesus didn't get that luxury most of the time. When he tried to leave, they followed him. And he didn't get much rest. 
So if this was me, and I was self-sufficient, able to do anything in my power, I suppose I might, you know, do a, like, a, what's, what's uh, the, incredible, the, uh, the Incredibles girl that is able to create like some sort of bubble around her, you know, so that no one can get near her? I, I suppose that would be a temptation for me, but not Jesus, not God. When he went ashore, it says he saw a great crowd and he said, I have compassion on and he began healing them. From his self-sufficiency, our God overflows with this stuff. It's overflows with compassion and healing. The word for compassion there is literally, uh, it, it means a sense of empathy or a shared suffering. So have you ever heard, if you ever hear Jesus' walk to the cross or walk with the cross described as his passion? That's why. It's a, it's a, it means suffering. God in his self-sufficiency does not have to, but chooses to feel what his people feel. Chooses to enter into suffering rather than away from it. It's a very... I, so I've, I've had the chance many times as a pastor to minister to those who are sick or dying. And I have to tell you, even though I've done this for 11 years and for a while, I was even a hospice chaplain um, in Staten Island. My first instinct, the first instinct I think of most people when they get around suffering, they get around, especially suffering that they feel uh, is just overwhelming, is to shrink away. Because you, you don't know what to say. And you're not sure how to handle it. And, and actually, it's not because of the other person that you shrink away. It's more for yourself because you feel uncomfortable with it, you know. Um, not, not Jesus. Enters right into it. Always. Just right into it. Psalm 145, verse 8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Isaiah 49, 13, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord comforts his people and has compassion on his afflicted. So I'm sure you've heard it sometime or another, maybe the story of the Good Samaritan. Generally speaking, you've probably heard it taught in such a way that suggests that, you know, basically it's an example story. Good Samaritan sees somebody that's in need on the side of the road. When you see somebody that's in need on the side of the road or wherever, help them. That surely is a major point of the story. But it's not the only point of the story. Uh, the other point of the story is to remember that the Samaritan is not just who we, are, who we should be, but to remember that we, like the bloodied and beaten person on the side of the road, have been treated by a greater Samaritan, Jesus Christ, who comes to us with compassion and takes us to the place of healing. So, that's what Jesus does. He has compassion for those in need even though he's self-sufficient. Secondly, from his self-sufficiency, he grows faith in people. So he comes to them compassionately, but he also grows faith in them. Um, after quite some time of teaching and healing, it's starting to get dark, and the crowd of thousands is starting to get hungry, and there are no, like, there's no snack bars there. They can't go get nachos or something. There's no restaurants. 
And so as the text says, it's just a, it's a desolate place. It's, uh, there's not much there. It's a wilderness. So what do you do? The crowds are benefiting from Jesus' teaching, and many are being healed, but how do you feed them? I mean, what do, what do you do? The disciples don't have a clue, so they say, send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves, Jesus. Like, it's going to get dark, and pretty soon they're not going to be able to get food, and they're going to be hungry for the rest of the night. And Jesus says something striking. He says, you feed them. Well, what is he doing there? Well, I, th I think what he's doing is what he often does in the scriptures. I think he is stretching their faith. I think he is causing their faith to grow. We're told and shown all throughout scripture that one of God's primary ways of growing our faith, stretching our faith in him, is through placing us in what seems to be very difficult or impossible situations. Causing us to have no other option but to look to him. So I, I think of the nation of Israel being brought to the waters of the Red Sea, chased by the Egyptian army with nothing to defend themselves, convinced from all the reasonable evidence at the time that they are going to die at the hands of the Egyptians. They have hit a dead end at the sea. Where do they go from there? The people start complaining to Moses as they often do. What did you do? Bring us out here to die. And Moses says these words. It's one of my... Uh, favorite verses in uh, the Bible. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you only have to be silent. Just just shh and watch. Trust. And the next thing we read is about God opening up a path in the midst of the sea and saving his people. Now here's, here's the question I always have when I read that story. God could have done that earlier, right? I mean, he could have at any moment. He could, I mean, well long before they got to the sea. He could have caused it to part. So, they'd be, so as they came up on it, they'd be like, oh, sweet. He provided an escape. Like, he could have done that. And they could have walked right through it. But he didn't. Why? Why did he wait until the last minute? Why does he so often allow us to go through, like, strife and struggle and difficulty? Because he knows that we won't see him as responsible for that path made in the sea. Unless we're brought to dependence on him. He knows, he knows we won't do it. When God gives us an impossible scenario, he does want our response to be first. Well, <laughs> help. And that's essentially what the disciples do. They come and they're like, dude, we've got five loaves and two fish. I mean, what do you want me to do? What do you want us to do with that? There's 5,000 people here. No matter how small I make this thing, number one, it's not going to feed them well. Number two, we're still not getting to 5,000. There's just no way it's happening. So help. My previous church in Southern California, 
the recession hit about a year after I got, I started as a pastor. We were renting a facility there, and uh, when the recession hit, the congregation had quite a few people that were in fields that, uh, that lost jobs and people lost careers, and so our church's offerings just went I mean, way down. It was brutal. Now, we had some savings. We had some reserves, you know, saved up. And so every month, you know, to pay the rent and to pay the bills, we were taking from reserves. Well, you can only do that for so long. And after a while of taking from this reserve fund, we finally got to the place where we had no reserves to look to. We still had the bills. So we decided, I mean, we got to a place, we should have been doing this the whole time, but we decided, okay, we're just going to de de dedicate ourselves to nothing but prayer. We're just going to pray and seek God and see if there's some idea that he'll give us or some means by which he'll provide for us. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And still the offerings didn't go up. And so we met finally at the breaking point and decided we're going to have to leave our building. We can't afford the rent here. And they tasked me, the leaders of the church, I want you to get up the next morning, Eric, and I want you to start making phone calls to like local schools or local community gathering spots where we can host our services. And that was not an easy thing to get a hold of in that area. I knew the odds were really stacked against us. So I wake up that morning primed and pumped to do what I need to do, and suddenly, suddenly I remember a conversation I had the previous day with a pastor. I had completely forgotten about it because of all the busyness of trying to figure out what to do with this building. I had never met him before. Uh, he, he asked, though, the day before if he could come by my office the next morning and have a cup of coffee. And before I knew it, I mean, it was like five minutes before he was coming. And I wasn't ready at all to meet with him. I had nothing prepared. So before I could even make a call to go out and find a new location, I meet with this pastor. His name is Jason. And he brings his assistant, Tom. And this is what they said to me. They said, Pastor, we're, we've been looking for a church that we could partner with. We have a gigantic building here in the city that, frankly, we'd love to share. Would you have any need of something like that? No joke. This really happened. And I said, uh, yeah, we would have a need. I said, you wouldn't believe what I was actually going to do today. Like, we're, we're broke. We're broke. We don't have anything. And they, said, and they said, well, we have tons of stuff. And I said, it sounds like a match made in heaven. Oh, glory. It, I mean, and, and within two hours... We were praying in front of their church, praising God, because in just a few Sundays we would start worshiping there. I'm actually preaching at that church next Sunday. But my faith had to be stretched. I could have never predicted that that would be the outcome. But God knew. So from his self-sufficiency, it's like he has to stretch our faith to cause us to remember that, yes, he's the one sufficient, we're not. He's the one that will provide, we can't. 
He's the one that will, he's going to, he's going to do it. And it may, there's going to be times where even you're going to go through harder times. Like I'm, we may have, it, this happens all the time. We may have not had a building and we may have had to be in the school for a while, but he would still provide. Like it, it doesn't always happen the way you wish it would or the way you hope it would, but he will do it. Because he's the one who can truly say, I do it myself. I can do it myself. Now he's the last point. From his self-sufficiency, he satisfies our needs. The disciples bring five loaves and two fish to Jesus. He orders the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looks up to heaven, says a blessing, breaks the loaves, gives them to the disciples, and the disciples give them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. I love that last word. They were satisfied. They didn't just have a snack. They were full. Plenty of fish, plenty of bread. And that's exactly what God promises in his word to his people. This is Jesus in another spot. I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you're going to eat, or what you drink, or what you're, about your body, what you're going to put on. That's basically all the things, right? Food, drink, health, clothes. Like, don't be anxious about all the things that you need. Why? It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of way more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? The answer is no one. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field that one day is going to burn, do you think he's not going to clothe you? You're his kid. You're his child. No, he's going to clothe you. He's going to take care of you. Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you wear. Yeah, I mean, the outsiders, yeah, that's what they do. They seek after all these things. But your Heavenly Father, He knows. He knows what you need. And this is His, this is, He wraps it up this way. How do you avoid the anxiety? Because it's going to come. It's going to come various times in your life. If it hasn't come yet, it will. I promise, it will. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the, the, it's the idea that's being set up is first here, then there. I would imagine for a lot of us the exact order that we don't do. What do we want to do first? I gotta get back, I gotta get back, I gotta go work, 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 especially here in the city. Have to. Hurry, hurry, hurry. L train's running late. Have to wait for three trains to go by before I can even get on the thing. I mean, you know, the whole dumb thing. So you're always in a hurry, and you're always frantic, and you're always hurrying, and you've, you'll say, I'll pray later. And I'll, I'll, I'll seek the kingdom of God first-ish. But it ends up being like fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh-ish. And then it comes at a moment of deep anxiety. And Jesus says, no, just reverse the whole thing. Like, start your day remembering who's in charge, Who's got you? Who's your father? And then, yeah, go out and pursue those things. It's fine. Work hard. The Bible's never against hard work. It's just against hard work without God 
given you the strength to do the thing. <clears throat> so let me wrap it up. I think in a sermon like this where you so emphasize the self-sufficiency of God, there's probably for some, some a tendency to hear this uh, and there's a danger that needs to be avoided. Um, and that is that you can turn one of these messages uh, into something that, like Jesus becomes almost like a genie. You know, I, I go to him to get the stuff. You know, because he'll, he'll give me everything I need. But that's not really what he's saying. And that's not really what he presents. You need to think about these things in, I think, primarily spiritual terms. Because our greatest need is not physical bread. And Jesus actually chides crowds that follow him just to get physical bread. In John 6, he chides them for that. But rather, Jesus says in John 6, stop striving after this stuff, but take the true bread from heaven. What is that? He says, unless you eat my flesh, the true bread of life, you will surely die. We need true bread, spiritual bread that will fill our spiritual lives. We need his, we need his perfect life as a substitute for our imperfection. We need his body and blood to pay for our sins. We need his resurrection to give us future hope. We need to be baptized, to be cleansed from all of our sins. So ultimately what I'm, saying, what I'm telling you is where we need to go with this self-sufficient God is we need to receive his all-sufficient body and blood. And that's where we're going to go in just a moment. That's how we're going to wrap all of this up because this is where anxiety depletes and faith grows this is the table where God says to you I'm giving you I'm filling your most basic desperate need right here the body of Jesus Christ given in substitution for you on the cross the blood of Jesus Christ given in payment for your sins eat drink be filled and then go out to the world trusting in your self-sufficient God. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, <clears throat> I can do it myself is really the cry of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's the lie of the devil whispering in our ear. So help us, Father, to confess right now we can't do it ourselves. It's not even that positive actually the your word says that we're dead so we can't even like we can't even contribute at all by ourselves spiritually we need you to come to us and so we're thankful that that tonight you're here and you have gifts on this table the body and the blood of our lord given for us because our salvation is ultimately won by your self-sufficiency as well we give you praise and thanksgiving in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.